we have any Patriots fans in the room? They're too, yeah, okay, real quick, right? Because we're going to rescind the power of evil that resides in this room. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to pray for the Rams today. Hey, if you are new here, we want to welcome you. Uh, We believe nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. I know we say it every week, but man, we really mean it. I don't take it lightly. None of us take it lightly that you came here. We have people every week who are just searching out their faith that may be atheists or agnostic, um, and God is on the move. In fact, uh, we get to baptize somebody at the end of this service that recently gave their life to Christ. So. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But I just want to celebrate that you guys are all here. If you have a Bible and you want to open it up or power it on to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, as we finish off a four-week teaching series called Immeasurably More. This is more than a teaching series, though. It's our theme for the year that we desire to see God do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And so if you remember the first week, we talked about a scarcity mentality. Then we talked about God uh, doing immeasurably more, unimaginably slow. Last week, we applied it to the church that you're not meant to live as an isolated Christian. You're to use your gifts together to see God do more in our lives. This fourth and final week, though, I don't know which one's the most important to you, but this one for me personally might be the most significant. I think what we're going to talk about is incredibly important. And it's something, when I first became a Christian, not only was I not aware of it, I just didn't even believe it. I had grown up in church, but received Christ at 19 years old. I was participating in a local fraternity at the great DePaul University. I've been getting that every, like one mild woo in a golf clap. That's kind of what we get. Yes, DePaul University. And uh, it was there that God began to transform my life and got involved leading a Bible study in a fraternity house. And, but I had never really read the New Testament and understood that there isn't just a physical realm, there is a spiritual realm. And so I would have considered myself a Christian for years, but I didn't believe in what the Bible taught, that Satan or demons were real. Now, if that's new to you, I want to encourage you like that what the Bible does and does not say about it. There's a lot the Bible doesn't communicate, but what we do know is that the word Satan or ha-satan is the adversary in Hebrew in the Old Testament. He was the adversary of God. He was not of equal power and authority of God, though. He was thought to be an angel of light that was cast out with other Angels that we know as demons that desire to be destructive spiritually in your life and my life, trying to feed us lies about ourselves and about those around us to not live out God's best practices in our life. We know that Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection, because he was crucified, atoning or covering up our mistakes, rose from the grave, overcoming death itself, that anybody can not only draw near to God, but that the enemy doesn't win. God has all the authority, and he can overcome any of the darkness in this world if we submit and surrender to him in that. So I share all of that with you because as we dive into this today, I find that when it comes to the darkness around us in our world, we are very aware of that. Hopelessness that occurs I'm not going to share the name of the city because this is anecdotal evidence, but I I just heard that there was a city here in Hamilton County that had 14 attempted suicides just in the month of January. 
That's more than the entire year in 2018. We live in a dark, depressing, sometimes hopeless times. And we believe as Christians, we have the solution for that. Now I want to share that we definitely believe in mental health and we should take that very seriously. This does not preclude one over the other. We need to address those things. The brain is an actual part, part of your body. When you break your arm, you don't go, okay, let's all pray and never said it, right? We, we fix the arm and we pray for healing. The two go better together. And so I would encourage you uh, as we address this issue to realize, though, that we do believe in very real spiritual war, that you and I on a daily and weekly basis are in the middle of a spiritual battle for our soul. That's what I want to discuss, what we do about that. And I find for many of us, we think of his church as like the holy fortress where we come to protect ourselves from the darkness of the world and the evil that is out there. And if we go out into the world to do any ministry, it's hurry up, go out there and come back. It's kind of like when you go to stop on a road trip with your kids and you get into the truck stop, you know, bathrooms. You know what I'm talking about? It's all dirty and gross. You're like, kids, just get in, get out, don't touch anything, right? That's how some of us as Christians, as the church, live. Get in, get out, don't touch anything, dirty, dark world. And actually, the Bible tells us to do differently, that we, according to Ephesians chapter 6, are meant to do spiritual battle, to go out and address the darkness in our world. The, the church is not meant to be a fortress, but a group of revolutionaries who fight to change the course of human history. It's why we gather together here. It's why we gather in our outposts, our microchurches, making an impact in the local community. It's why we do all the things that we do. And so I want to invite you through Ephesians chapter 6 to begin to say, I'm going to do some spiritual battle. I will no longer be afraid. I believe God could take new ground today. Do you believe that? See, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, it says this, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He's the one that overcomes the darkness in this world. Now, if you're new to the, the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is writing this. It's one of his last letters that we have in the New Testament. He writes to the church in Ephesus, which was a very pagan place. They worshiped the goddess Artemis, who was a fertility goddess, and a lot of stuff happened in that town in Ephesus. He presents the gospel there. He st a riot gets started, but eventually the gospel spreads. And he sends one of his disciples, Timothy, there, who becomes the leader of that church, and it grows rapidly. One of the most theologically developed letters that we get from Paul, he writes to that church in Ephesus, and in Ephesians 3 is when he said that God wants to do immeasurably more in and through your life. But it's going to require that you participate in the life of the local church. But then number six, you're going to have to acknowledge that you are in a spiritual battle. Are you ready to address the spiritual battle you find yourselves in? I wore my ripped jeans this morning because we are under spiritual attack. <laughs> and we got to get ready and address it. And we're going to battle back and fight back. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. It begins to describe the attire that you're wearing. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, an analogy 
Verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one that wants to tell you you're not good enough. You'll never overcome that addictive habit. That, that your spouse is the problem. Just get rid of them. Your, your coworker is an evil person. Fight back against them. Your boss is Satan incarnate, right? You should look to undercut them anywhere you can. Instead of taking up the shield of faith to defend us against the arrows that come our way, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions and all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly Make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The big idea is real simple this weekend. I'm going to have three points, and I want you to begin to declare that you and I, it's time for us, time for you to fight back. Can you do it? Will you pray with me? God, we want to see you do immeasurably more in our individual lives in our family, in this fear of influence, in this church, God, in our communities. But we pause right now and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. Speak to our souls this morning, Lord. That when we hear of 14 attempted suicides in one month, in one city, in our community, it should bother us. We need more light in this dark world. Give us hope for that this morning to fight back. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You don't need to raise your hand, but I'm just going to assume some of you as a child were bullied, okay? I know, yeah, okay, thank you. I know I, at times, I had an older brother. Being bullied was just a part of life. I had, in fact, uh, some of my brother's friends, I'd often hang out with them. And one friend in particular was about a year older than me in our neighborhood. Uh, his name was John O'Connor, still my friend to this date. Great guy, and uh, I believe it or not, many of you are like, Josh, I know you lived in Southern California. You don't know what life in Indiana is like. That's not true. My wife is from Southern California. I lived out there for seven years, but I actually grew up in a really small town in East Central Indiana. And there are many fun things to do in small towns in East Central Indiana. One of the main things when you were a kid is to walk around the neighborhood, or in my case, out in the countryside shooting BB guns. Anybody do that? Come on now. I know you're like, that's weird. No, it was fun. And we would go out there with my friends and I, and I remember one day in particular, I'm not making this up, we're out there walking around, and I had always seen the Christmas story, like, don't shoot your eye out. So I was, yeah, I was scared to death of ever getting shot with something. So my buddy, I'm literally five to 10 feet in front of him. I'm looking that direction. He's standing right behind me, shoots me right in the back. Dude, that stung. And I I went down. I went down to the ground. Now, there was no reason for me to go down. It was not that strong. But I went down to the ground in my pain and suffering. And then I got up. And I was very upset and anger. But the Lord came over me, and I just forgave John right there. So sorry, I forgive you, John. We're... No, I punched him. <laughs> Hard, right? And 
It was a slightly nonviolent punch, but, you know, we were best friends like 30 seconds later because that's how guys do it, I guess. But I always remember that. And, like, he shoots me in the back. I'm not just going to turn around and go, that was funny. No. Here's what I want to tell you. We've done a better job in our culture, and we can always improve that bullying is a very real problem, isn't it? And we need to address it, and we need to teach on it. And, man, I'm telling you, raising kids is hard. we gotta, we got to continue to coach. But what I've realized is we finally understand that in our culture and in our schools and on a spiritual level, many of us get spiritually bullied every single day, and we do nothing about it. We allow those attacks to come, and we don't even acknowledge it. We just allow it to occur. When the enemy tells you, you're not good enough, you're always going to be a failure. Remember what you did three days ago. Remember what you did three years ago. Remember what you did three decades ago. You need to hold on to that. And we allow the guilt and the shame to just weigh on us. The problem with your children is that you're a bad parent. And that fight with your child, you need, to, you need to teach them. You need to learn them up. And you need to fix them right now because they are the problem. And you need to fight with your child. The problem in your marriage is your spouse. We're fed these lies every single day. And we never address the one who's doing the bullying. If you're taking notes, I want to give you three ways of how to fight back in 2019. Spiritually speaking, we're not talking about the uh, pathetic way that Christians have done this in the past. These aren't the great Christian crusaders fighting against our political or ideological foes, okay? Our battle is not with human beings. First point, if you're taking notes, remember your fight is with the enemy. It makes very clear in the passage who's our enemy. The Hasatan, Satan, or the devil, It says this in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Your stand is not against your evil boss's schemes or your spouse's schemes. Your fight isn't even with your spouse. I'm amazed at how many of you have a roommate here. I've never met someone who they were the dirty roommate, right? It's always the other roommate is the problem. And I just want to encourage you, if we're going to be reconcilers, ambassadors of the faith, what does it look like, whether you're married or you've got roommates or you're living by yourself or you've got problems at work or problems with your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandparents, I don't know what it is, but remember your fight is with the enemy. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Look, I coach a fourth-grade basketball team The enemy is the referees. We all know this. No. There is a spiritual battle that's trying to be destructive in our lives to get us to stray from God's best and what he desires for us. I told you this one's really important to me. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. I'm going to preach today. Okay? No fingers pointed. I'm right in the middle right with you on this stuff. But we so quickly turn spiritual battles into that person's an evil person. Hey, they may be. They may have got, uh, Satan so at work in their life they're unaware of it. But it says our battle is against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's who our battle's with. He defines it so you don't get confused. So if you're having marriage problems and you feel like, man, if she or he would just, they just get this right, 
They may need to get those things right. But keep in mind, your battle's not with them. It's the enemy that is wanting to be destructive to your spouse, which then causes the problems in your marriage. My wife, uh, Lisa, and I, when we first got married, we didn't have money to do a, a fancy you know, honeymoon or anything, so we saved up for a year for our anniversary. I've shared this story before, but uh, we saved up and went to Paris, France for our one-year anniversary. We'd always dreamed of going there. It took a lot of prioritizing to save up the funds. We had to go when it was freezing cold out in February because the flights were way cheaper. We had some friends help us out with hotel rooms, and, and it was amazing. We went there. One of the first days we were there, we went to the Louvre. Now, if you're not an art collector, the Louvre is the probably most famous museum in the world for art, painting in particular. And we went there, uh, saw the Mona Lisa, the whole thing. It's humongous, most of it underground. Multiple football fields is how big this thing is. It's, it's absolutely humongous. We had spent hours all day long trekking through there. We were exhausted. Now, it was very cold outside at that time, maybe 20 degrees, and before we came, I came prepared. I had brought a warm ski hat with me, and I really want to emphasize to you, this was a very important hat. Can I I do that again? It was very, it was a big deal, a very important hat. And so as we were walking around along the Louvre, I had taken it off, put it in my pocket, and somewhere over the course of hours it had fallen out. I get back to the lobby of the Louvre. I'm there with my wife. We're newly, we've been married a year. And I'm like, honey, I lost my hat. It's somewhere in the Louvre. We got to go find it. She looked at me. She's like, Josh, this place is humongous, and there are like 12 million people here. You are never going to find it. And that's when I knew the enemy had taken over her life. This is what he does. And she's like, you're not going to find it. And I was like, that, you, you don't care about me. You want my head to be cold. That costs $15. Dave Ramsey wouldn't like what you're saying. I got angry. I got upset. And in my Christian humility, I left my wife in the lobby of the Louvre for 45 minutes. Walking all around the, the entire museum, making a, uh, for the, the married couples in the room, a rookie mistake where I never found the hat. And I finally returned back to the lobby. And not only did I leave my wife in the lobby in another country for 45 minutes alone, now for the rest of my entire life, I have to be reminded about how I never found the hat. <laughs> and this little thing caused days of arguing between us. Because that hat was real important. And don't act like you haven't argued about less. (laughs) And replacing the toilet paper in the bathroom can literally end marriages. (laughs) These little tiny things that we don't acknowledge who our battle is with, and we become divisive with the human, the person, the conflict, the family member, the friend, the roommate, the coworker, the boss, and we think that they're the problem. See, I want to apply this in another direction. I find that for some of us, when it comes to acknowledging this dark world, we fail to see the spiritual battle that we're in, and our political ideologies, which are important, can often trump our faith in Jesus Christ. Let me be specific, okay? That some of us are more Republican than we are Christian, or more Democrat than we are Christian. I told you I was going to preach today. Those political beliefs are great and important. I find it rooted in Scripture and and definitely follow your heart and and, and desire. Be firm in those, absolutely. 
But when you begin to see the other side of the political spectrum as the enemy, as the problem, and don't acknowledge the spiritual reality in which we find ourselves, we begin to look like every other human in society. That's why we as Christians don't look different because we think our battle and fight is with them, whoever them is, rather than with the enemy. I guarantee, politically speaking, we could find some solutions if we actually lived in a way that we wanted to love and work with each other and reconcile with each other and still hold our beliefs firmly, but we're too busy wanting to fight with each other and blame the other. (laughs) I hope I don't get any emails about that one. But I share all of this to say it's so easy. It happens to me. It happens to you. Remember who our spiritual battle is with. Number two, then you got to get dressed up for the fight. You got to get dressed for the fight. No soldier goes into war wearing khakis and loafers. You're not prepared. If you want to be prepared for spiritual battle, you need to uh, get ready, prepared to dress up for the fight. I won't go into detail on all of these, but I want to highlight two in particular. Verses 14 to 17, stand firm then with the belt of truth. And then it says, have the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15. And then with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. That wherever the good news of Jesus takes you to help those in need and to share your faith, that you're willing to go there. That might be the most important thing I share with you, and I'll I'll say why in just a moment. That comes from the gospel of peace, verse 16. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith. I'm going to talk about that as well. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I I want to highlight the word of God for just a moment. But that's how you fight back spiritually. When uh, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, when Satan tempts him, the way he responds and fights back every single one of the three temptations, first thing he does, quote scripture. He's reminded of the truth that he finds in the word of God. And so I would encourage you, if you're new to Christianity or new to the Bible, uh, this was something, a habit that I developed that really helped me grow in my faith. I, I developed the habit of just every day, opening up my Bible or powering on the Bible app and reading. I try and read a chapter a day and I read and I observe, okay, what did that mean? I try and apply it to my life. I spend some time in prayer about it. But you don't even need to do a chapter a day. You you could literally do a verse or two a day. But just that willingness to submit to the Lord in that process to prepare you for what you're about to face every day. The first thing I do, at least I try to do, when I wake up in the morning is I just roll out of the bed onto my knees. One, it gets me out of bed and I haven't had coffee yet. Two, it gets me on my knees just saying, okay, Lord, I submit to you this day. Do with me what you will. I surrender. And I am convinced, as I'll share here in a moment, the problem in our churches around the the country is not a lack of strategy. It's a lack of surrender. And so this posture of submitting to the Lord with what I'm going to describe as like childlike faith is incredibly important. See, I'm convinced that the being fitted with the readiness that comes from the good news of Jesus, that we go wherever the gospel takes us, and that the shield of faith are two of the most important things if we're going to do spiritual battle. Let me explain what I mean by that. Because if we are unwilling to go where God wants us to go, We'll never see God do immeasurably more. If we don't have childlike faith in submission, 
We'll never see God do immeasurably more. Matthew 18, 3 and 4 says this, And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's not just, it doesn't reference childlike faith, but it's inferred there because it's talking about a a child taking a lowly position, submitting or surrendering to our heavenly father. That if you want to address the addictive habit in your life, but you can't get to a place of childlike surrender to him, it's going to be hard to see God do immeasurably more in that way. If you want to see God use your life in a powerful way, I really believe it won't happen if you are unwilling to do and go where he wants you to go and submit and surrender to him. Now, look, I'm not saying you need to, you're just not working hard enough or surrendering enough. That's not, it's not about sacrificing more to achieve stuff. This is really important. I've been overemphasizing it all weekend because, man, this has really hit me. I look at churches and leaders around the country, and I fail at this too, But one of the problems that I often see of why we don't see God do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine is because we set up boundaries of what we will allow God to do. And rather than a posture like this of God we receive and do whatever you desire, we have a posture like this of God, do this for me, I need this. And let me get really specific. I mean that if God told you to drop everything you're doing and go to another country and minister, you know you would never do it. And that may be because you're not called, okay? I, I can see that. But I also know that the mission field is plentiful, bountiful, but the workers are few. And that very few people respond to that. And that the missionaries around the world, the, the numbers continue to dwindle. I know that in our local churches so often, I see leaders who are like, man, I want to see God reach so many people for Christ. I want to do all of this stuff. But when it comes time to saying, okay, I'm going to have to be willing to give up anything in my life in order to see this occur, they're like, nah, I said I would do anything as long as I have a nice house, a nice car, some really good Wi-Fi, right? And these things that like, I'll do anything, but I have to have these particular things. See, I can't say that I'm perfect at this. I've got a lot of room to grow. But I can say this. In our short experience, seven years as existing as a church, I have seen that's when things occur for God. My wife, we lost a child in the first year of planting the church. And we seriously discussed throwing in the towel. But my wife, in all of her hurt and pain, was able to submit and surrender and say, God, if you're calling to this, you're going to have to show up. We're going to follow, even if we don't see it. I saw people who live in smaller houses than I do, who sacrifice five and even six figures so that we could purchase this property and reach literally hundreds of new Christians here at this place and do it all over again at Michigan Road and seeing God move and work. And I'll tell you, I encourage if, if maybe a pastor watches this later online, I know we've had a growing number of people doing that. In my own life, the times I have rejected that type of surrender, I've always regretted it. And the times I've done it, it inspired other people to do it. And I think part of the reason, you know, we've seen God begin to do such a work. My wife and I were very serious when in the compassion campaign, we said we would sell our house if we needed to in order to make our commitment. Because I, I don't know what about you, but I don't, I don't know anything about you, but I, I don't want to have anything that I will ever prioritize before the Lord. 
So to have that humble faith of a child, the readiness fitted to go wherever God calls you, it's what helps you do spiritual battle. I remember when I was a young Christian, I had this really cool leather jacket, dude. I looked like Indiana Jones. I mean, I thought it was amazing. I'm sure someone else did too. But I really, it was really important to me. And I left it at someone's house, and I really, really wanted the jacket. And I made the decision, give it to somebody, because it had become too important to me. I know that sounds silly. It was a jacket. Who cares? But if there's something in your life that has more significance to you than the mission of Jesus, you have an idolatry problem. And I find we're afraid to say that. That in a spiritual battle, if you don't address that you're, you're fitted with, your feet will go anywhere that the gospel of peace requires you to go, you'll never see God do immeasurably more. Why even discuss it? Because that act of surrender is the most significant, important aspect of that. I told you, man, it's going to be hard stuff. And we have seen people in our church have the most insane surrender, and it has inspired me in ways I never thought possible to dream bigger than we ever thought possible because it's not about us, it's about him. And if we surrender, he can work. Today, you're going to get to see someone get baptized. And I don't want to speak for you, Matt, so if I say anything wrong, man, you correct me. But that was an agnostic when you started attending services here had not been a participant in church on a regular basis and, and began to find faith and recently uh, prayed to surrender his life to Christ and he's going to get baptized today right here. Yeah, we can celebrate that. And you, you probably don't know it, but we actually every week have a lot of people like that, attending online even. That may be you today. And you are just searching things out, trying to see if God is real. And I, I want to say... I, we have seen him work and move. Open yourself up to that, but it's going to require surrender. Don't think that you're going to see God do immeasurably more without intense surrender. It comes at a cost. You can't just go, God, I want to see you heal my marriage. I want to see you heal my child. I don't want to see you do all of this stuff. It's going to require stuff of you. It's going to make you uncomfortable. So don't think you could go into spiritual battle and just pretend like everything's okay. It's going to take incredible surrender and submission. And the big part of Matt's story of that actually occurring was through a local ministry. One of our outposts, the Rise Up Outposts, have both a women's and men's ministry. And the men's ministry they partner with is called Fight Club. It's awesome. It's growing rapidly right here locally. A lot of the, the men in the church are behind it. And I want to encourage you, the next 10-week session is coming up in February. I believe it's the Wednesday the, the 15th. Not Wednesday. February 15th. Friday, February 15th, it kicks off at 11 p.m. at night, right? This is not for the faint of heart. This is for the men. So uh, watch this quick 60-second video as they uh, share a little bit of what's going to be like.
Does anybody want to do it just to break some computer monitors? Come on now. That's starting, and I'm telling you, it's a 10-week, very intense discipleship experience for men. I encourage you, man. We've seen a lot of lives transformed. Matt Endicott really came to faith through Fight Club. And so I encourage you, if you're searching things out about what you believe, consider joining that. Again, it kicks off uh, February 15th. And Matt and uh, Mark Vare will be out in the lobby at, under the Outpost Central area with the Fight Club banner. Go up and talk to them about some of the details of what it will look like. But check it out. But if we're going to fight back spiritually, we've got to remember your fight is with the enemy, and you've got to get dressed or ready, prepared for the fight. Finally, number three, as we close out our time, we're going to do something a little different. We're not just gonna, I'm not just going to teach on this. We're just going to practice it. We've got to pray for power in the fight. Pray for power in the fight. The fight is not won by us. It's won by him. And so submitting to regular prayer in the fight is incredibly significant. Verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Look how it says pray. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Pray, 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 pray. If you want to fight back this year in 2019, yeah, you got to get ready. You got to know who your enemy is, but then you got to pray. So if you're struggling in your marriage and you're not praying about it on a daily basis, you're missing all the power and the authority to address the issue. Go to counseling, do all that stuff, absolutely, but pray. If you're having trouble with a coworker, pray. If you're having trouble with your kids, you got to hit your knees and begin to pray. If Jesus is not the ruler and authority that makes all the darkness tremble in our lives, we don't understand the spiritual battle that we're in. We're addressing the wrong enemy. If you have strong political beliefs and you see all the problems in our society that need to be fixed and you're not praying about it, why? As Christians, we are missing the power and the authority. We are ambassadors. We are not God. We are called to go minister to a dark and hurting and hopeless world, and we have the ability to do that, but it requires prayer. And look, I don't think you just pray and all your problems are fixed. We're not some type of hyper-spiritual, you know, mystical church. We really believe in the power of prayer and surrender. So I invite you, as we close our time together, we're going to practice this. We're going to give you three ways to pray as we share communion together. And the first one is this, that you're going to pray for yourself. You're going to pray. Maybe you need to confess some stuff to him that he already knows. You need to pray about some of the problems that you're facing in your life. You need to go to him, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Some of you, you need to pray for, number two, your oikos, the Greek word for household, the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence. Pray for them. Maybe God lays some people supernaturally on your mind that you want to begin to pray for and see God intercede in their life. We're going to pray for, for others. And then we're going to pray that God would use our vision as we close out our four weeks, our theme for the year, seeing God do immeasurably more. We're going to pray for our church and those eight goals that we shared with you last weekend. We've never hit all our goals. Maybe never will, but what if we did? What if this is the year we finally did?